Hello, and welcome to Agape Fellowship. We have been reading and studying the Word of God verse by verse. Currently, we are looking through Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. God's words inspire and strengthen us from within. Do join us as we learn together from Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Let us begin tonight as we look through the portion called the Beatitudes. Beatitudes, Beatitude means blessings. It's a word in Latin, and since the, the first translation from the Hebrew Greek was into Latin, uh, one of the threads was in Latin, and that's how the word came out in the early church on the western side of the church. Uh, used Latin in, in a quite a big way. Um, so that's how we got the word beatitude. Um, beatitude means blessed. Uh, another word that could be uh, replaced or, or can take the place of uh, the word um, blessed is, oh, how happy. Verse 4 says, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, in the first one, it was blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So why does one mourn, if I can ask that question, and this is just for us to just start a conversation. Why would one mourn specifically, now remember, he's talking to the Jewish people, he's talking to the disciples. Why would, why would Jesus say blessed are those that mourn? It was meant to be a question, by the way. Um, loss of something uh, or someone that is held dearly. Uh, in the case of the Israelites, remember that they were living under the um, Roman Empire's hegemony. They had lost their freedoms. Um, they had lost their health. They saw many people coming to Jesus um, for healing. They had lost their land. <clears throat> many didn't have land, they had lost their wealth. And most importantly, they had lost their relationship with God and as a result, their relationship with fellow men. It had been 400 years in the past that they had just come back from Babylon and um, there was not a prophet as God had done prior to that who had come. The last prophet was Malachi. Uh, that was 400 years ago. Uh, just after they returned. And Malachi, if you read the book of Malachi, it's not a comforting book. He is judgmental. He's talking about the shepherds who are going astray. And all the many aspects of that is what he's talking about. And then there's 400 years of silence. They don't know what's going on. And then the silence is broken by John the Baptist and then comes Jesus. So when Jesus started his ministry, if you remember, he went straight to after the, um, the um, testing uh, in the wilderness and all of these things, remember in, that he went to a synagogue in Nazareth. And then he was given the scroll of uh, Isaiah. You remember that portion. So let's read that portion and I want to pick up from there as to what is this morning and what did Jesus come to do about it. Uh, let's look at Isaiah 61. You see it up here. 
uh, Isaiah 61, uh, 1 to 3. And that same person, if they can also just hold on to read 6 to 11 also. In the New King James Version, it says, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison to those who are bound, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who are mourned, to console who mourn in Zion, to give beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for a burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth, and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles, and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. So he goes on, um, the portion, that same portion that Jesus had read in the synagogue, it goes on to say that there's coming a time when he will bind up and heal and restore and he will provide beauty for ashes. And then he goes on that he will clothe me with the garment of salvation. Um, he's covered me with the robe of righteousness. This is the event that he's talking about where Jesus is going to and it, Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus coming along for those that are mourning. They're mourning and they're, they're, they are clothed in ashes, dressed in ashes. They're mourning for their condition. They're brokenhearted. They don't know what to do. They're lost. They are in such a quandary. And Jesus is coming to say that he will give them a, a garment of salvation that he will take away their sorrows. When does one put on ashes? We know through the scriptures that if you remember, Job, when there was a brokenness in his life, he wasn't sure whether it was him or whether there was a sin and that, you know, he's, he, he sat in ashes. The people of Nineveh were in ashes. When uh, uh, Jonah came and uh, witnessed to them that in 40 days, and you're done, buddy. And what did those, uh, what did the people, entire kingdom of Nineveh, they put on sackcloth and ashes and they were mourning. Why? Because of that condition. My heart is broken when I recognize my true condition. And I also see my inability to change. This was the condition of the Israelites. They didn't know what to do. They were in such bad shape. Prior to this, if you look at history, the, um, 
the um, many kingdoms passed through, the um, Greeks passed through it, uh, the Seleucid dynasty, remember Antiochus Epiphanes, um, and the Seleucid dynasty passed through, the Egyptians passed, they were like, a, you know, a highway through which every empire, every major empire just walked through Israel. And they were like a rag doll, thrown away. And they didn't know what was going on. But they knew that they, even though some attempted to do their righteous deeds, but they knew that their righteous deeds were as bad as rest, to filthy rags. And they didn't know what to do. And here's Jesus prophesying, in, um, or God prophesying through Isaiah in chapter 61, that there is going to come a day when he's going to clothe them with garment of righteousness and salvation. So my heart is broken when I recognize my true condition and I see my inability to change any of it. I cannot change it. I'm ruined. I have no strength and I have no ability or power to rescue myself. I'm broken. I mourn concerning my helpless estate and have come to the end of my ways. In our last segment, we had seen Paul and Nicodemus, if you remember the two events. Remember, we read from Philippians chapter 3 and also Nicodemus coming by night to Jesus. What did they see? They saw that all of the righteous, especially Nicodemus, he, he came to Jesus by night to say, he didn't even have to say it. He said, God, we know that you're a man from, uh, from God because no one can do these miracles except from God. What was he saying? He's saying that you, you came from a place where I cannot even approach. All my righteousness is no good. And he comes to him by night and here's Paul on the other side. He's saying, look, I was born a Hebrew of the Hebrews, Benjamin, of the tribe of Benjamin, by, in terms of righteousness, a Pharisee. And yet with all my striving, I just don't know what's going on. Let's read the next portion. It's Romans chapter 7, 23 to 25. This we know. Uh, we've read this before. And this is the situation that Paul finds himself, and he explains this in, his, uh, in the book of Romans. Can we read Romans 7? Romans chapter 7, verses 23 to 25. But I see another law in my members. Warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So then with my mouth, I myself serve the law of God with the flesh, the law of God, sin. Here is Paul. He's, he's in a conundrum. Saying, look, there's something that is strange about me. I want to do right, but there's this war going on in my body. Anyone that recognizes that war going on in that body is the one that, you know, God is kindling their heart and saying there's, uh, why? He allows that. So that they can recognize there's something strange about us. I want to do right, but I do wrong. And then Paul says, who will rescue me? We'll come to that. And when we cry and mourn, when we recognize that we've come to the end of our rope, that there is no hope for us, then God is there to comfort us. Notice he says, 
he will. It's a very important part. Blessed are they that mourn for. Can you read that, please? They shall be comforted. Yes, it says comforted. What would you have preferred in place of comfort? If you had an opportunity to rewrite that portion, what would you have said? Instead of comfort. Anybody? Happy. No. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I just threw it like that. You know, I know it's yeah, the wrong answer. That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> I just threw the answer. <laughs> um, not happy, but I don't want to be comforted. I want something better than comfort. Peace, I said. Say that, sister? Peace. Peace? Uh, not yet. Not quite. You want, you want vengeance? No. Help, help. Help, no. Restored. Restored, no. What would you want if you were, if you're mourning? Joyous. I want to be rescued. I don't want to be in that place. There's a difference between comfort and rescue. Comfort means I am in my mourning state and someone's coming alongside me putting the hands on behind my back and I'm, I'm being comforted. Not that my situation has changed. I'm going through this horrendous mourning period and someone's coming alongside and saying, take courage, be encouraged. I'm with you, I'm supporting you and so on. Rescue means let's get out of here. Let's change the scene. You see the difference? One is you're being comforted. Another option, if I had one, would be I want out. I don't want to be mourning anymore. I don't want to mourn. Comfort is temporary, just like Abraham comforted the saints. You remember the portion with Lazarus and the rich man? And I'll just read that. Um, it's Luke 16. I think I've written it over there. Luke 16, 24 and 25. Then he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember in your lifetime you received the good things and likewise Lazarus the evil things. But now he is comforted. You are tormented. Comfort is temporary. Temporary relief until the big guns come sh show up. Now, if I told you comfort means you are not going to be mourning anymore. If you truly, truly are a believer, you believe in scriptures and you understood and you are honest to yourself, you'd say, Anil, take a hike. I still mourn. I still mourn for my parents or I still mourn for my spouse. I still mourn for this. I still mourn for my situation. And I take comfort knowing that God one day will wipe away my tears. But we are too chicken to admit it, you know. But I want us to admit it. I don't want us to make fake things with Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, how nice and how wonderful. No, it's not how nice and how wonderful. 
but I'm grateful for the comfort that he gives me a temporary relief as I go through this. But I'm also not that happy that I'm still going through this, but I have to accept it for now that God has permitted it. And one day I'm looking forward to that day that he will wipe away every tear. I will not be caught up in my sin. I will not be fallen. I would not be broken. I would, you know what I'm saying? That I will not be in that kind of a situation. Death, suffering, pain, hardship, disease, brokenness, poverty is all with us. Yes, we may be a purchase of God. We may have that symbol on, you know, sold sign on the back of our shirt, uh, you know, sold and a purchase of God and all of that. But we are going through this. And if we deny it, we are liars. So let us be honest to God because there's another portion. He talks about sincerity. But God has told us that and he's allowed it for now. There is a permanent fix coming. The permanent fix to the problem that God has promised is available to us. Let's look at Isaiah 25, 8 and 9. And also let's look at Revelation 21, 4 to 7. So we have to admit that this is temporary. But God is going to comfort us because he is coming again to wipe away every tear. On that day there will not be disease. On that day there will not be brokenness. On that day sin will not have us entrapped in all the brokenness that we feel in our lives. And on that day we will not have a body that cripples and diseased and over time just not worth it. It's a broken tent and you're ready to get the heck out of this tent. Can we read those two? Isaiah chapter 25 verses 8 and 9. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. On that day. There's a day coming. Let's also look at Revelation 21. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass, 
The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalidony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh crystallite, the eighth burial, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jasnith, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Here's when we get relief. Here's when it'll be a permanent fix. Until then, God has come to comfort us. That was one of his priorities, if you remember, in the Messiah, Messiah mandate. That was one of those, that he would comfort those that mourn. Here's the other part of it, which is we sort of say, yeah, that's taken for granted, but let's just expose that so that we know we understand this. It's only that come to Jesus will get that comfort. We all assume, yeah, it's for everybody, but let's, let's be clear. We find that only in Jesus. We find that only in God. We find that only with him. And if we are not with him, if we are not walking with him, that comfort may sound like a hollow tin can far, far away. That's because we are far, far away. But it's available to the believer. He's come for that. And Jesus is promising that there would be comfort for those that and a future deliverance from all of that. This world holds worries, sicknesses, failure, losses, and brokenness. Our separation from God leads us far from God and makes us feel empty and helpless. God promises comfort and a restoration from within, a sense of blessedness that nothing on the world can ever give us. God rescues us from our helpless states. Let us draw near to Jesus to receive his comfort and the hope of deliverance. Do join us in the next episode as we continue meditating on the Beatitudes from verse 5. God bless.